Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. It's part two of our brand new spectacular with Marissa Androvic uh, and of course Chris Cusack. So, shall we get into it then? So, the devil and God were apparently raging inside them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and what an apt song, what an apt album title now that we think about it. Eh? Marissa, <laughs> did, did you say to me recently that Jesse Lee is quite religious? Yeah. Yeah, he had a, he definitely had a Catholic upbringing, um, which he continued to follow. That would explain the child abuse. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it could. has <laughs> happened. Sorry, <laughs> folks. I, I say that coming from a Catholic background. Don't worry, I'm allowed to, just like I'm allowed to say that Italians are all crooked. Yeah, well, I mean, if you live in the west of Scotland, you need to at least, you know. <laughs> I was also brought up Catholic. It is 12th of July. Oh, fuck it's off. Definitely, it's definitely a fashionable date to make yeah. fun of Catholics. Yeah. Um, Oh jeez! So we, but being religious is interesting. That's another twist on it. Mm-hmm. That whole kind of like self, you know, like penance and guilt and justifying things. Because you know, there's one thing that religion is good at making people feel guilty, but it's also good at telling Ab- people absolving sins. Absolving sins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, self righteousness, and I think there's a lot of that in in Brian Yu's work. Oh, that's interesting. Um, earliest work, maybe not not in the Devil of God. Okay. Um, so um, the devil and God are raging inside me actually apparently comes from a conversation he had about Daniel Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, the the musician that we, we've spoken about before. This is their most critically acclaimed album. It's got them on a bunch more late night talk shows. It got them cover stories on the likes of Roxanne and Kerrang. It was, it was you know it was the big time. Uh, you mentioned earlier on, Mark, about them dropping hints that um, they brought out a lyric book in twenty fifteen. Much overdue. I think they they invited fans to pay a dollar in two thousand and six <laughs> for a lyric book, and then it took them like nine years to fulfil that. But yeah, they sent this thing out called Pogolith Zero Zero Zero, which was like a lyric book that inside it had this cryptic rip. 2018 message uh, which people interpreted as being an end date for the band and then I think they also did the Pogolith Zero Zero for Deja Entendu as well later on uh, the album was also written apparently at a time when a number of the band members were experiencing sort of familial losses, mm-hmm. death you know, elderly relatives, that kind of thing Yeah um, and it was the second attempt at recording, the second, well, mm-hmm. the second attempt at an album as well, apparently they wrote over 40 songs for this record. Yeah, who do you think they are? Weezer? Um, <laughs> they're no Weezer mate. <laughs> no I think uh, and one of the most important things about this record is that the first attempt at the album was leaked online uh, back in the days when Nine that was a, that early was a thing. mixes or something mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think only two of those songs ended up making it on the album which is cute. And then the leaked demos came out in 2015 themselves. Um, and I think it turned out that a couple of the songs that had been leaked ended up as B-sides anyway for some of the singles. Uh, Fork and Knife, Coca-Cola, or Okla Okla, because it was Coca-Cola backwards. Um, That's clever. Brothers, which I think is the same song, uh, actually, the same song. And um, a song that sounds like the Smiths called, is it 1986? No, that's the R. Casket prayer and a soft heart But I found the rewards Weren't half what I'd hoped for a few of these songs were, were B-sides, but they, they recorded 40 songs for the, this record, so there's obviously a lot of shit still out there, right? Yeah, so they went away to record this record, took some time off, came back, realised that the album they recorded doesn't sound anything like how they want to sound, bent the whole thing and started again. And it was those demos from the first time round that got leaked. They recorded the album again, and that became The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Mm-hmm. Or Fight Off Your Demons, as it was originally supposed to be called, or as fans were calling it at the time, without the vowels. I had a T-shirt. Fight Off or Beat Off? <laughs> Should have been beat off. I actually had a T-shirt with "Fight Off Your Demons" on it, which is cool. Um, <laughs> Inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the hair as well, so I had to, I had to straighten it because my hair, when it goes long, it goes out the way; it doesn't go down the way. Mm. So I had to, in order to get the emo fringe, I had to straighten it or have my girlfriend straighten it for me. So I'm trying to imagine why a little insight there because really I wanted sick. to have the hair because it was the time. Oh, no, the I mean, why oh, couldn't you straighten it to yourself? Because I was just fucking useless. Okay. Do, do you mean like, like Gene Hack? Uh, my Gene God. Hackman? No, no, you Gene, Gene Hackman. Do you mean like Gene Wilder? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, or, what, like the singer from Hundred Reasons. No, it's it's not quite curly or do you like mean that. Like Hey Arnold. Like Hey Arnold, yeah. Or like a troll. Do they maybe do things with pencils? No, not like a troll. No. 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 So I had to straighten it to get the fringe. So. Jings. A lot of work. It was. It was not worth it. <laughs> Anyway, this album. Uh, so this was recorded in 2005, came out in 2006. 
record on Interscope uh, major label obviously all those record sales for Dejan Tondo led them getting signed there's a snippet of, of a voicemail recording on this album um, which is literally their representative of the record label asking where the fuck is the album basically <laughs> <laughs> which isn't quite nice to, start, to sneak in there but yeah it's uh, I think it's personally their best album but should we talk about it uh, so it starts off with Sown Season mm-hmm. yeah Title from Stephen King book. Uh, it's indeed. It's got a really low key intro. Um, when the second guitar comes in, it immediately lets you know this is a different brand new. If you if you were a fan of the band back then, like like I was, and your first exposure to them was Dejan Tondo, and I was a bit lukewarm on that album at the time as well. I liked the singles, but I didn't really mm-hmm. take much else from it. This was like, holy fuck, who's this band? This, this sounds really weird and different. You know, the the, the quiet loud thing. Especially the chorus howl as well has a lot of Nirvana in it. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've also got it. Kind of feels a bit like Smiths tinged emo as well in places, which is brand new all over. I think because <laughs> they are very Smiths, Smiths uh, influenced or at least Jesse. He's a, he's a bit more say a mm-hmm. fanboy. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, I wonder if he still is. It'd be interesting. Yep. Morrissey was our Phil Collins tier. No, he was he was a one point five. Yeah, yeah. Because he says that Chinese are subspecies. Definitely racist. Um, uh, the drumming in this is pretty cool. I think he's doing some quite interesting things with the beat and the, vo- and the verses. I like the first bridge with the way the vocal goes up an octave and has a really close harmony on it. I am not your friend, I am not your lover, I am not your family. I think it's a really cool ending. Almost hymnal, I think, in its delivery. Um, and then it's just screamed, of course. <laughs> Question, were you already a fan of Brand New when you first listened to the Devil and God. I was a fan of the songs that I liked off of Dejan mm-hmm. Tonto, which was the, the two singles, Play Crack the Sky, because I'm, I'm obviously a big emo, and Okay, I Believe You, but my Tommy Gun don't. Mm-hmm. So what was your initial response to that album? To Dejan Tonto or to this one? To this one. Uh, who the fuck is this band? Yeah, okay. This is, I like this band. I really like this band. <laughs> this is a, this is the record new fall in love on them, you know. So it's just processing. Yeah. Oh, oh, at the time, I can still remember my pro- That's what I was just saying. Like, I can still remember my process, when, my thought process when I first heard this record. And I haven't listened to this album in a long time because I tend to not listen to Brand New very much anymore for the reasons that we've just discussed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the most direct song by them. I think the second one, Millstone, is much more kind of straight down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is the, the purest distillation of, of their emo sound here and I mean that never registered with me at the time let alone nowadays I used to be such a burning example I used to be so original I used to care I was being careful make sure I don't know it, there's also something about the sentiments in Millstone it seems it's quite apparently a reflection on feeling like you used to be a better person mm-hmm. it's quite again quite narcissistic I I used to pray like God was listening I used to make my parents proud I was the glue that kept my friends together now they don't talk and we don't go out I used to know the name of every person I'd kissed now I made this bed and I can't fall asleep in it he certainly did make that bed mm-hmm. <laughs> um I don't know. I, I, that, that's some really good lyric writing, though. It's all yeah. right. I mean, it rhymes. For somebody that's quite an immature lyricist, that had a bit of a way with words anyway, I think, you know, he's he's got a way with words for sure. What's your analysis of the lyrics? I think that's something people um, can relate to. Or, like, people in their in their early 20s. So people that were already fans of Brand New and listened to that album for the first time. Um, that, I don't know, being in the emo community, they, yeah. might not, they might not have been that well to begin with. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> this guy gets it. So he mean, just gets me, man. <laughs> you, you mentioned that... That's, that, that's how I got into them. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned that were, you were having mental health problems at that time, and I, I was the same, actually, at that age. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, what aspects of the message in here resonated with you? Like, was that... Was a message as blunt as that actually quite useful? It's just... I think it makes you question question your own sense of self-worth 
and how you've evolved as a person. And obviously, your early 20s are a very transitional age. And yes, you do lose some friends that you used to go to school with that you're probably friends with for a long, long time. And also that is the point of your life that is not predetermined. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make your own choices. It's true. Your parents are not going to make them for you. So when these backfire, yes, and you start questioning your your own worth. And these are very real issues. Do you think uh, it's an age thing, though? Do you think that would still resonate with you? Because for me, it was just, it was too... It was too on the nose. Yeah. A lot of the lyr- lyricism. You know? I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. You know, being in my early 30s, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What, what was not on the nose about this kind of music this era? You know what I mean? It was it was kind of a calling card for it, right? But for me, I thought, oh, this dude is voicing what I'm too scared to admit to, to my closest friends and the mm. people that I care about or they care about me. Yeah. And in terms of the actual song itself, I think the drumming, I think he's a great drummer, man. He does unconventional things within really conventional song structures, which is cool. Some really nicely guitar parts, really nicely chosen guitar tones as well. Um, I think the chorus is good. It was always a really good sing-along live, this song. It was always really good at that. Uh, When I saw them live, uh, live, he he messed up the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) He straight up forgot the lyrics. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. Um, and the middle eight kind of modulates the key a little bit, which is cool. And I'm a big sucker for woes, which I've ripped off. And I, I and since, since listening to this song today, realised that I've ripped off and still rip off subconsciously. Subconsciously. <laughs> and I didn't even realise it. So, because no. I've written here, I've ripped this off many times, apparently, because I just had that moment of reflection as I was listening to it earlier on today. Um, it strikes me as a much more immediate tune and... I would have thought it would probably have been a bigger individual hit than it was, you know, just sitting here and amongst the album. The the next track, Jesus, mm. was, I, th- I think it was the biggest individ- like individual radio song mm-hmm. yeah. at this point. I, I don't know if it, if it remained that way overall. For the record, by the, the the cover of the single of Jesus, it can't be a coincidence. It must be a pastiche of Jesus Lizard because it's written the exact same way. It's arranged in the exact same way as well. I'm I'm guessing that's a little nod. Yeah, Jesse's admitted to some influences of Jesus Lizard being on this record. Okay, it's uh, a bit of a stretch, but uh, yeah, well, they certainly the influences in the graphics department. <laughs> This, this one, when you said that he was religious, kind of cast it in your light for me. Uh, and I think his use of Jesus seems to transition from quite rhetorical in the first verse to actually being almost quite literal mm-hmm. in terms of who he's addressing by the second and uh, verse and onwards. It's a pretty clever song. It's really well structured and well written. Um, I, I like the fact that it avoids the temptation as well towards the end to just go big and distorted and OTT. It, it keeps it on the sort of down low. It is still strange for me though that it became such a, a big song for them because I just think it's it, it's just like a pure like dance floor wet rag. Yeah. not the kind of tune you can get up and bop to the way even the singles from the previous album were um, there's also a couple of little guitar bends in it that really remind me of Modest Mouse which is a band they weren't actually going to end up playing with until 2014 and mm-hmm. then a later tour in 2016 it's decent um, lyrically Jesus Christ that's a pretty face the kind you'd find in someone that could save if they don't put me away well it'll be a miracle <laughs> there it goes <laughs> yeah I think this is probably one of their best overall songs in their entire catalogue. It's quite subtle. The lead guitar feels quite folky to me, and it's and I don't know if if you guys think that, but Kevin Devine would would play this live, acoustic, with a capo on the third, and it would be a folk song. Mm-hmm. It would be exactly like the faster, just like just the, just the chords, and it has that feel to it. Um, and the the vocal melody fits it like an absolute glove. You speed it up because then Jesse Lacey would then play it like that solo live when he would do solo acoustic shows. He would just basically rip off his pal's version of it. He's like, "This is actually 
much more suited to putting acoustically than just me plonking away for five minutes myself, you know. What's um, your um, textual reading of it? What's your craze? Mm-hmm. I just think it's another interest case of um, lyrics taking a different meaning after you contextualize them. Mm-hmm. And obviously we can't know what he was referring to. And he has admitted that his music is not necessarily autobiographical, although in this particular al- album, some of the lyrics were direct responses to conversations he had with Kevin Devine. Mm. But yeah, if they don't put me away, it will be, it, it will be a miracle. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, it will be. That's an interesting one. That that kind of seems to more than hint at sort of Yeah, I think it's more doubts. prevalent in their first two albums. I mean, there are some mentions to... Um, an age difference mm-hmm. <laughs> I also said the same thing as you Chris that old brand new would have taken this and just like ripped right out in a, a heavy part towards the end yeah. and that's one of the reasons I why I like it the song is really subtle and understated and it's just got full of great hooks all over the place like all the guitars jump out with different hooks and the vocal does it as well and the bang vocals the, one of the, my favourite things about this record is the multiple layers of counter melodies and bang vocals that tend to happen towards the ends of the songs this feels more epic towards the end with the We All Go Wood and Nails part because you've got like three, I think, different backing vocals and a harmony, like all doing different things, which is, I think, pretty clever. Well, picking up on the theme of interpretation and reinterpretation, especially retrospectively, track four, Degosser. Degosser. Mm. This was a jam. This this is one of the only songs in the record which was an actual jam between the band because that's not how they write, would write music. Jesse would write the song on acoustic, give it to the band, they'd work out the parts, then they'd get together and put it, then play it. They would rarely practice unless they had to. scary to listen to a bit scary if that makes sense but you're drawn to it it's like the music equivalent of a horror movie you know mm. how some people watch horror movies for the pure enjoyment of it yeah that's how i feel about it's kind of creepy. It's yeah. yeah it kind of yeah. keeps along I, I mean i think it's open to maybe maybe even three interpretations I, like there's an interesting bit about this in genius.com when you're looking through the lyrics and you, you see the different fan reactions and interpretations they've got a, they've got a comment many cultures describe the feeling of love as magnetic when relating the way your body and mind is naturally attracted to somebody in this regard when your affection for somebody dies or is compromised it would come in handy for to have a tool to demagnetize your body or theirs to kill that attraction Uh, in another way degaussing tools can also destroy the magnetic fields that live inside of certain hard drive parts Mm -hmm. the act of degaussing a hard drive would render it useless and any data nearly impossible to retrieve now they say this similarly speaks to Jesse wanting to destroy any feelings of attraction to someone when a relationship has ended and they're at their lowest low. I would say I imagine Jesse has uh, degossed a few hard tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that does. I think that that's actually a pretty clever interpretation because it does read "Take me back to your bed, I love you so much, that hard." It's like this idea that I'll, I've just got this love that I just want to get the fuck rid of, but I just can't do it. Yeah. You know? This song is so acutely emo, I can see the wee veiny boy faces howling it. You know what I mean? Uh, it was, I, I mean, I just, I really enjoy this song, man. The tremolo guitars are in 320. It just makes it really nasty and loud as fuck. This is, one of the reasons I like this album so much is because they do go nasty with like vocal, vocal, like note choices and guitar parts and not heavy nasty, but just unsettling like you say about this it's, it's a creepy song um, and it's even more creepy now given <laughs> given the context you yeah know? the uh, the kids choir sing along Yeah, exactly. Is you think that was recorded in a studio, or was it just all the open conversation windows and Lacey Skate? Oh my god, singing along at once. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, fuck that hard not life kiddie bullshit. I, I fucking hate that. Uh, towards the end, they really make use of the three guitars, and it's got multiple again multiple vocal harmonies. Obviously, utilizing that to its most extreme point in the studio, mm. it works for me. Limousine, the fifth track. Further on, 
holds back and pours and pours and so Pretty specific discussion of a girl, a wee girl called Katie Flynn, who was killed in a limousine after serving as a flower girl at a wedding. Another one that's quite on the nose lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um, Arrangement-wise, I thought it had actually a fair bit of Smashing Pumpkins once it gets moving, minus that crippling nasal vocal. And I, I can say that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, I think this is a pretty horrifying song, and I think they handle it really well musically in terms of making it sound... Exactly like a car crash, you know. Um, do you know the story behind what Maybe happened? Maybe he made his whole life into a car crash think, yeah, as, as a piece of performance art. Do you know what happened to the girl when she? So a drunk driver had sideswiped the limousine. Yeah, he'd been driving for two miles on the wrong side of the road, and yeah. it happened a few miles away from where Lacey mm-hmm. um, stayed at the time. Yeah, um, and, and no, it's grim. I think this song's got multiple movements, I guess, if you want to put it nicely, right? It, it's got that really morose intro, and then it opens up, and it's some really horrible guitars, which, for I mean, horrible for them, it's discordant, it's nasty, and it does evoke to me the sound of a, of like a car wreck. It actually sounds to me like fire and, and steel, like just like colliding, you know? I honestly think this just sounds like a fucking emo song. I don't think this is anything like as grandiose as the subject he's trying to write about. And I think that mismatch makes it really jarring to me because it's trying so hard to be earnest, but I don't find there to be anything particularly moving about it. It's like it's seeking to acquire emotional impact, pardon the pun, Via this this incident and via this really like blunt discussion of the incident, it just does. It feels out of place and crass. It's like the kind of thing I, I wrote about when I was in high school. I'm just like, come on. I mean, don't co-opt this tragedy to try and make your fucking emo song sound important. I just I just don't get any of that at all, man. This is often considered to be their best song. Yeah, um, it's not. <laughs> but it's also. I mean, it's not their best song, but it's also not for me. Anything like as profound or stirring as you're making it out to be. I think I, I think it's I think it moves in really interesting ways. It's their second longest song. Um, it goes quite loose. That is emotionally troubling <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it goes quite loose at around two minutes twenty, which it kind of feels a bit dreamy and, and woozy. And then it's got that gradual build up towards the end of a, "I Love You So Much," where it just becomes like whirling guitars and multiple overlaying vocal parts. And I just think it is a pretty epic song, and it, it really works for me. It's lots of simple ideas. Don't get me wrong, but they're layered on top of each other in really quite interesting ways, particularly for a band that had just done fucking whatever poison's in this bottle, will leave me broken sore and stuff, like fucking pop punk stuff like only five years ago. I think this is a fucking fantastic transition for them. Yeah. I really like that song. So what you're saying, Chris, is that the choice of this subject matter was a bit insensitive. Did you think it was distasteful? And no, 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 not at all. No, I, I'm not so like triggered as to think that we shouldn't discuss like really profound events but I think it's partly about the way you discuss them like how you go about it how poetically you dress it up and and what greater meaning you're deriving from it or are you just basically reading a news story that rhymes to a song mm-hmm. and the other thing is just that the music you're setting to does it does it seem to match the purpose is is what comes from it something that feels so wrenched from the heart is to justify discussing something so tragic and I just don't get that this song ticks either of those boxes, I think it's it's too blunt mm-hmm. and, and it's just not particularly great music to me. I think it's quite, the other thing I find quite interesting about it is the fact that it's told from three different perspectives as well, it's told from a perspective of the little girl and from the mother and from the drink driver Yeah, and um, she said know? that at the time many of his friends um, were doing that and that's why that story was so impactful and because it happened so close to where he stayed it must be. I mean, I imagine it was probably quite traumatic as well to hear about this story happening just down the road. And yeah, you know, I think there's something a little bit macabre about it, and I think that could have been oh, absolutely. That could have been different had it been something more artistically rewarding. But for me, it just doesn't reach that threshold, and as a result, ends up being a bit. It sits, it sits uneasily. Um, the sixth track, you you won't know. Daughter 
Hey, 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 Mr. Hangman, go get your rope. Your daughters weren't careful. I fear that I am a slippery slope. <laughs> There's a fucking line. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and he's not wrong. Um, yeah. This feels like brand new grown up emo band for me. Mm. You know, um, it's still somewhat intense, not as intense as the last song. The chorus is really overwhelming and noisy. Actually, the, some of the some of the guitar parts remind me a, a bit like Jawbox lead guitars, like the kind of tone and, and note choices remind me a little bit of Jawbox for some reason. Um, I think there's a viola in there, which is double tracked um, with the guitar part as well, which I think is a really sweet touch. The lead guitar part, yes. then the viola becomes the lead guitar. It's a decent mix. It's pretty cool. Um, but they have done that ultra quiet to loud dynamic a few times mm. at this point already. One interpretation of this that I saw was that it discussed someone's death from the perspective of those left alive afterwards. Mm -hmm. But another one that I saw that really intrigued me, and I'd like to explore your feelings on this, is that some fans had commented that it was actually about abortion. And it was like a little bit of a veiled musing on that. And given his religious beliefs, I'm curious, having just thrown that at you, what you think, Marissa? I think that's him, just... um admitting his misconduct and being feeling conflicted about it and feeling bad. I don't know. I don't know what his opinion is, where he stands on on abortion. But no, I never interpreted it like that. He did. He has said in interviews in the past that even though he is religious, that he refuses to talk about it in music because he feels as though forcing that upon people is a dumb fucking thing to do. So I would I would kind of... Yeah, the thing is, in this one, he's potentially not being blunt about it, mm. um, and and that's not me. That was you know, I'm I'm reading fan forums for their input in that, but it was it, it was put forward that they were like, mm-hmm. I think this is him dancing around the issue of that, mm-hmm. not necessarily saying good or bad, making a moral judgment, but reflecting on that notion of death and survivor. There is a there's another band who are, who have a Christian singer who have written a song about abortion that is a uh, pro life allegedly, and. It's never been denied by the singer, and they may come up on this podcast in the future. <laughs> Are you not going to tell us? It's uh, thrice since the song. Um, I said. Well, they're going to come up in about twelve seconds when I mention. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the song? It's on. It's on the. It's on the artist in the ambulance. Oh, fuck! What was it? Under a killing moon, um, with blood in our black gloves. It is none of your concern. It's like the the hook. Apparently, it's apparently it's a pro life song. I mean, I don't know if I, doctors wear black gloves. I know, but he's a fucking he's a, he has a he has a he has a legit go to church Christian guy. So. He's a fucking Eli Roth. Could be. It's <laughs> <laughs> like an Eli Roth abo- abortion, you know, where the guy's wearing like a black leather mm-hmm. apron and he's got fucking like pig mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think it works like that. Um, but track seven, welcome to Bangkok. By the way, Bangkok, a place where a lot of creepy older men <laughs> go to meet younger women. Indeed, yeah. yes. Just saying. So I've heard. Mm-hmm. So I've heard. Um, this was written by Vin, Vin Accardi. So it's just one of his jams, I think. Uh, sounds like Mogwai to me. Like the, see when Mogwai go for the big rock vibes like for example Mr. like on auto rock obviously this is not as jubilant as that or even the heavier bits are like headed it sounds like this okay in my opinion not that that's a bad thing it's came out the same year as Mr. Beast incidentally I did see one observation uh, that this was related to you know the title Welcome to Bangkok uh, when uh, Bjork got in a, a sort of fracas at an airport it was because a journalist that was harassing her had come up to her and said welcome to Bangkok and it all kicked off on the back of that I didn't know that somebody had mused on that yeah Mm, interesting what do you guys think about the song it's not my favourite meh yeah I mean it's Um, there um, it's there it's probably my least favourite on the album yeah Uh, not the sun uh, ha- like track 8 has an almost Daryl Palumbo-esque groovy falsetto twist um, to the singing um, yeah. mm-hmm. 
does a nice timing shift in this one. It does, yeah. It's not uh-huh. a badly written song. The Be My Serene part is a little bit of talking when it kind of slows down. <laughs> um, that's that's just, um, I think that, that bit, that bridge, when it does slow down, Be My Serene. A, a really marvellous change I think in, in the timing yeah that's that's the time shift that's not yeah. the, the cool funky um, lead guitar gives me heavy U2 vibes mm. just putting it out there what era of U2 <laughs> <laughs> just the edge being the edge really okay Marissa's <laughs> like, I, cannot, I cannot agree nor disagree um, in all these comparisons you've mentioned I just need to go home listen to both songs and then make my own assessment Mark what if you're making somebody go home and listen to you two, you are fucking cancelled. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, is that me cancelled now? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, track nine, Luca, about uh, about Luca Brassi, the character from The Godfather. Uh, sleeps with the fishes, you know, concrete boots and all, mm-hmm. old school. Uh, I saw it I commented upon that uh, this song is an actual jump scare near the end. <laughs> yes, it does actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, proper jump scare. Also. Saw it compared to Mogwai for that reason. Yeah, <laughs> a band that do a jump scare now and again. That's true. Um, again, I just love the drumming on this. There's some really good rhythmic choices. Um, I also enjoy the aching sort of swirling guitars that just are sitting in the background like the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, he does pick like a horrible sixth note, which is just like really nasty. I thought you love those. I do. It's not on my Spotify, but it's horrible because it actually scares me, and I'm I'm naturally very zombie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also some from from science fiction. That starts with um, a woman screaming. Oh yeah, oh, there is. That's you right. were talking yeah. about horror aesthetics earlier on. I thought this might have done it for you. No, no. I don't actually like horror. Too delicate. All right, okay. but like I know there are people that enjoy horror for the sake of being scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always draw this analogy with spicy food. You know, <laughs> it's just like it just makes it more interesting. <laughs> the extra suffering, um, <laughs> character building. Yes. So I've decided not to mention thrice. By the way, I've just decided that. Cool, fair enough. Come uh, on. <laughs> um, so uh, track ten. Untitled Aye Or an end uh, It's just, just an end dash a trippy dreamy wee thing I saw the lyrics Were listed online As I can never lose it Repeated over and over mm-hmm. And over and over again Is that legit? It's pretty imperceptible In the track Some people don't have English as a first language <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah It's one of these songs That I don't listen to anymore Yeah I never try to read Too much into it I don't know why it's there when they had so many options, though. When th- they had songs like Missing You from, from the demos. Plus it's not... Demos. I mean, th- 13 tracks, if you take the full version in, with the, the reprise edition, and I think you could have done without it. I think it's a... I mean, I agree. I do agree. But I think it's a palate cleanser after the weird fucking big ending of Luca. I'm sure some know? people would argue that it's all, it serves some kind of um, symbolic purpose. Yeah, I, th- I think it just feels like a whole bunch of weird found sounds that rammed together in production. You know, it, it was. Um, I honestly thought it one of you would have a theory on this song. I just, I just think, I just think it's a palate cleanser. I, just I was that, really that, looking forward to this part because, um, because then it does have a jump scare in the look and it does get really big and nasty. So I think that's where you been. And then yeah, this is a nice little. But track eleven, uh, uh, archers, archers, or the archers' bows have broken. Archers to me. Do we know why there's the discrepancy with the title? Because it's listed some places as the Archers bows have broken. Don't know. It's on Spotify as Archers as well. Yeah, no, I saw that, but elsewhere it's the full title. Yeah. Yeah. Is this perhaps the most poppy song on the album? Mm -mm. Just to leave things on a happier note. 
Yeah. This this is the only truly great song in this album. What did you learn tonight? No, I think not that's really. a hot, hot take. No, uh, I, I think this has some of the instrumental savvy of Jawbox who you mentioned earlier. You know, you're talking about the drum approach. Mm-hmm. I don't think an awful lot of brand new drumming, but I think in this it's excellent. It's like Jawbox mixed with a kind of more conventional Midwest emo style vocal. Yeah, definitely my favourite tune on it. Uh, I saw a lot of people actually commenting the same when when you look under the videos, comments-wise. In this track, apparently Lacey's discussing his frustration with people who claim to espouse Christianity and the Bible's teachings whilst practising hate. Yeah, but I really can't say that in the lyrics. I'm, I'm generally good with these course analysis, but I, I, I can't say it. Yeah, I didn't it's, notice it either. So you even got the line, order your doors to ignore me. Do you think that'll sort me and sweep me under the rug? <laughs> Ouch. Um, but I mean, musically, I give it repeated listens. I think it's a really good song. I think it's a great song. Um, I think it's weird that it comes towards the end of the album. I think you'd have this up front, personally. Um, the overlapping vocals towards the end and really give me the vibes of the Smiths as well. I think it makes me think the fact that it's so late is that they don't get how good a song it is, which is probably because their sensibilities in terms of what constitutes a good song are so different from mine mm-hmm. and it's just sort of like you know a stopped clock is still right twice a day they've written a good song they they, they didn't maybe realize that uh, i mean they know when they know they know where and when to place a single on a record though they've proven that over the past two albums and that that would definitely if you be think up, those yeah. singles were good yeah but i mean how they could not think that is not as good as any of the other singles they had is fucking unbelievable to me if they, if, if, that, yeah, if, if I, that never crossed I, their mind i agree with that uh Track 12, Handcuffs, uh, Vincent Accardi's take on societal morality and the darkness that people hide in order to be seen as, quote, good. Well... There we go, Vincent. Mm. Uh, I wonder what brought that on. <laughs> this song actually reminds me a wee bit of Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, some people interpreted it as amusing on the abuse of power as well. Oh. Others saw it as a revenge fantasy. Maybe oh. he was right. Maybe they did know something. Yeah, maybe they did know. Uh, and uh, I had picked up in particular on that sort of like horribly narcissistic emo line, it's hard to be the better man. I get that that's decontextualised in, in, in terms of what he's discussing, but fuck me, it jumped right out and slapped me in the balls. Oh, well, uh, Jesse didn't write it, so yeah. in, this, in this case... Did he write lyrics? Didn't write lyrics. No. That's funny. Then no, oh. this was all all Cardi. Get over yourself, Vincent. Um, they always like they always did like to end their first two records with acoustic songs. And this is kind of an acoustic song. Mm. And it's the last song on the the released versions. Obviously, there's a lookout reprisal version which comes afterwards. There's some really nice electric guitars that are maybe e-board in the background, which are quite submerged in the mix, almost like a siren. I think they're pretty cool. And there's cello on it, which is, I think, a really nice touch to give the song a really nice and loose organic feel, which this album doesn't really have a lot of. Um, now, you mentioned the British sound. See that look of reprise, mm-hmm. which is the 13th track on the, the online version. Well, I lost my taste for the really reminds me of someone British and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it is it no Gallagher? It might be, it's somebody pretty fucking lame, whoever it is but <laughs> see if you listen to it with Britpop in mind, I think you'll get what I'm saying Britpop might come up in my nexus. There you go So Marissa, to to recap here, obviously well, some people can decontextualise these things. I can't. I think it's a really interesting record. I think it offers a lot of insight. Mm-hmm. Some of it intentional, some of it not intentional, maybe. I think 
it has a couple of really great moments of music. I think the Jesus third track, that's a, that's a really cleverly written song, and whilst it doesn't ever really stir me, like, mentally, cerebrally, I'm like, yeah, fucking well done. That's a good bit of writing. And track 11, uh, The Archer's Bows Have Broken Our Archers, I think is just a, a straight-up great bit of emo rock. Uh, as I said, I would put it in a playlist with some in my opinion, far better bands. It's a really great song. The rest of the album I find okay, but I'm I'm very mindful of the fact that I am not the demographic for this. You know, mm-hmm. I missed that wave of emo. I think what you were describing earlier, where you talked about the way this interacted with your your state of mind, your mental health at the time. I had that, but I had that with an earlier phase of yeah. music, just because of our age difference here. And I suspect that that might have made me look more kindly upon it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit lucky because the phase of music I had that with, most of those bands didn't then go through this fucking like uh, outing of their fucking past transgressions. Yet, yet you know, <laughs> yet, yet. Um, I appreciate that. I absolutely appreciate that. I'm just curious why it just in in summation with the level of plaudits it has. Do, I mean, do you do you still go back to it regularly? Do you, we've spoken about this in the show before, where an album that was great and well received starts to fade a little sooner than some of its peers, and I do get the sense that maybe this is one of those ones where yeah. it's like because of the lack of big singles that you can go back and stick in a dance floor, it's maybe started to fade a little bit quicker. Is that a fair point? Um, I don't know. I don't. It's not as comforting for me as it used to be, uh, because of the allegations. Yeah, and I was going to say, is that a purely psychological? It hasn't yeah. entirely cancelled. Well, it has cancelled brand new for me, but um, it hasn't necessarily decreased or completely erased the pleasure I get from listening to that album. Because I remember how it made me feel when I first discovered it. I think it's great. Um, I also think it kind of signifies that passage from third wave emo to fourth wave emo when it became maybe less poppy, maybe more about angst, less about hating women. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important album for for the genre as well. Yeah, I agree. I think, as you said, between uh, Déjà Entendu and this one, you see the change of tide in what was considered emo. Yeah. Know, even given that they went on to do the kind of Manchester Orchestra, more kind of that kind of scene of emo, they had a foot in either camp. Mm-hmm. That part of it is definitely interesting. Yeah. And I do think given how unanimously it was praised by friends of mine that were into the style at the time, it has fallen off the, the map a little bit quick. Mm-hmm. I was I also wanted to ask you, Marissa, about what is your relationship with Brand New now? Like how do you do you go back to them generally often? Or how do you like how do you contextualise this now from an art versus artist point of view? I will listen to them um if they come up, if they're on shuffle. Um, but they are not therapeutic for me. Mm. They can be. Uh, but I do like them. And um, I still think their, their music is great. Um, there are some songs I can't listen to anymore. Mm, of course, yeah. Oh, some songs um, in particular that really... Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe You Won't Know is one of them as well. Because for me, it is an admission of guilt. Like Hangman, for me, is his executioner. And he calls to him. So I have a different take on on your one oh than the one you described, and like that's why I was taken aback. Like, oh, mm. okay, mm. Um, but man, it's just a great album. Mm. And uh, the other significance it holds for me is that it made me discover, it helped me discover more music. It's like I like that. It's a gateway. What do they sound like? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. M- Monster Orchestra is one of these of these bands I discovered because of this album. It definitely sounds like it. Um it helped to float you a, a tough time, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can definitely relate to that feeling and how that can tend to make us a bit more charitable towards them. Yeah. You know, because at the same time as we're becoming acquainted with our own imperfections and flaws. Yeah, I think this is a deeply introspective album. Yeah. Um, Narcissistically so. Yeah. 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 It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but it is introspective. Can I ask a quick question as yeah. well? Would you ever approach somebody, given your depth of knowledge, and say, by the way, that tune's cancelled. Mm, I don't think so. I don't know. It, ha- it would have to be an extreme example of someone playing R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lost Profits. Lost Profits. Uh, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Glover. <laughs> yeah. 
Phil Collins. Phil Collins. He's still, still <laughs> Poor Phil. Pure. I mean, just because he's a Tory. Yeah. You know, poor, poor bastard. We've dragged him through the muck and the boy can fucking play and write. All right, Marissa, that was fantastic. Thank you. And it was really interesting to go through it. And I will at least walk away with one good tune that I'll play when nobody else is around and they, <laughs> they can't lecture me on the morality of enjoying it, the art. So, Nexus. 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 Marissa, did you manage to do a Nexus? Yeah, is that the the six degrees? Oh. Absolutely, yeah. fantastic. A complicated series of connections between different things. Okay, well, such is the tradition. Uh, if you nominated the album, you go first. Oh my god! Are you god. up to that? <laughs> so <laughs> I think it might be identical to Mark's. Yeah, we end up discussing in the car on the way over that we have we definitely have one link which is towards the well, end. So you can go second. You may also have it. It depends. We'll find out. <laughs> oh, uh, so this week's Nexus is chosen by Kenny Banella again. Again, yeah, Paul. He said in the group he didn't pick last week's. It was somebody else. So you fucked that, Chris. He's just trying to wash his fucking hands of it. <laughs> now, uh, he, no, what he said was that he'd picked a bunch of other draws at the same time <laughs> and therefore, give me a break. <laughs> right? So he picked Pepin the Short, another one that led to us frantically Googling. Mm-hmm. King of the Franks. One of. One of. One of many. King, <laughs> kings of the Franks. Not the most famous. No, but um, certainly significant. Not significant as another person. Right. <laughs> Brand new to Pippin the short Marissa. <laughs> what off a transition. You go. Take it away. Right. Um you you do tell me if I approach this the right way. So Pippin the Short was a father of uh Charlemagne. Oh no, hang on. You're What's currently it? doing a mark, but you know what? We didn't warn you, so it's fine. Just carry on doing a mark. Oh, is it the other way around? Yeah. Oh. Don't let us don't don't let Mark shame you. Right. Don't don't let my idea. <laughs> cool. Shame In that you. case. <laughs> Don't try and do it in reverse because you'll just get confused. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Just do it the way you're going to do it. No, it's okay. I can literally just uh, start reading from uh, the bottom up. Okay. That's a superior female mind there, Mark, who's able to reverse the order in a (laughs) way that you Not just a pretty face, Mark. Frequently (laughs) proven yourself in keeping... In keeping doing it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Marissa. Go in that case, just Lacey wrote the song Jesus Christ, which was featured in the soundtrack of um, a Friday Night Lights episode titled uh, Upping the Ante. Mm -hmm. Um, Taylor Kitsch was in the main cast of the... Of Friday Night Lights, and he was in that episode as well. He was in a movie called Snakes on a Plane. Oh, really? <laughs> a little little known movie called mm-hmm. Snakes on yeah. a Plane, featuring none other than Samuel L. Jackson. Uh-huh. You see where I'm going with that? No, you're going, you're getting further away in my oh, head. Really? So. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea where you're going with that. <laughs> well, Samuel L. Jackson was in another B movie called Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Ah, okay, right. I see where you're going now. Yeah, <laughs> featuring someone called Christopher Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Is that is that correct? The Christopher, Christopher Lee. The Christopher Lee. Dracula himself. Oh, <laughs> and Christopher Lee had many many endeavors. One of them being. Um, writing symphonic metal he wrote an album called um Salomane by the sword and the cross um which uh, featured the the many great achievements of Salomane uh, who was the son of Pepin the sword the we, elder son I we could have a problem yeah. yeah this kid this oh no guys no have you got Christopher Lee no, you go next I also have Christopher Lee you go next okay yeah so Jesse Lacey was slash is potentially was slash was slash <laughs> can you imagine um, why is he not cancelled yet that's a good question um, Jesse I don't know because he's, he's from Stoke no. and everybody feels bad for him no, he's, he's good pals with Robbie Williams um, Jesse was or is good friends with Kevin Devine and Kevin Devine even did a split single with Jesse where Jesse covered Bad Day by R.E.M. <laughs> Seems as though that's uh, perhaps apt now. Uh, and then he would later go on to produce Kevin Devine's album Bubblegum. Um, so that series was split 
vinyl that Kevin Devine did was called Divino. Uh, and another person he did a split with was Craig Finn of The Hold Steady. Um, do you like The Hold Steady? Anybody like The Hold Steady? I do, I do. I like them a lot. I've never really been able to get on with them. Um, but I feel as though they should come up with this podcast because they are quite an important band. Anyway... He's released, a, so Craig Finn's released a number of solo albums with a, uh, alongside albums with a whole steady. He released an album in 2015 called Faith in the Future, which was released by Dine Alone Records. Um, Dine Alone Records is a Canadian record label, which has since gone on to great acclaim and um, gotten bigger over the years. They've been home to a bunch of really cool acts, including Trail of Dead, um, Alex on Fire, Chuck Reagan, Out Drive and Jimmy World, um, and also Swerve Driver. Swerve Driver I've been going for fucking ages Kenny Benella fucking loves Swerve Driver by the way so he is he's having a field day right now <laughs> uh, so um, Swerve Driver uh, they formed in 1989 they broke up in 1998 and then they reformed in 2008 in 2015 they welcomed one Mick Quinn as their bass player do you know who he is Chris? no he is the bass player and founding member of Supergrass oh right okay mm-hmm. I probably should have known that yeah Shortly before Supergrass split up for the first time in 2010, Mick Quinn popped up on an album called Calm Before the Storm, the debut solo album by Lauren Harris. Do you know who Lauren Harris is? Daughter of Steve Harris. I was going to <laughs> guess that, to be fair. Daughter of Steve Harris. So Steve Harris plays bass in four of the songs. I ha- What year did that come out? 2008. Right, okay, that's allowed because that is pre-QAnon. But if that if, if somebody brought out an album called Calm Before the Storm from twenty sixteen onwards, you'd you'd be having fucking problems with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um so her dad does play bass on four of the songs on this twelve song fucking amazing record. I haven't heard it, it's probably shit. Um and Mick Quinn only appears on one. But he does backing vocals on a couple as well. Um all the guitars in this album were handled by Richie Faulkner, who is the current guitar player for Judas lead guitar player for Judas Priest. Um, in 2013 he played lead guitar on the fourth album by Christopher Lee called Charlemagne Omens of Death um, the album is a sequel to the one Marissa mentioned which is The Sword and the Cross apparently uh, Christopher Lee he can trace his lineage right, fuck you right <laughs> fuck you <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get out of jail with that you prick oh he stole his thunder um, well, no. the, the whole reason I brought that, brought that up right is because I could have done this in two jumps because apparently not only was he the king of the Franks, Charlemagne, but he did a lot of shit, including a lot of raping. A lot of raping. Uh, conquering, a lot of shagging, and apparently most Europeans can share their common ancestry back to him. And has, has he ever been called out for it? Has he ever been cancelled? Where's the Me Too so we're all related. We are, yeah, so we're all related to Pippin the Frank, uh, Pippin the Short. Basically. Jesse Lacey, yeah, but better or worse than Charlemagne? <laughs> Didn't he unite Western, the better part of Western Central Europe? Yeah, he did. I mean, I'm perfect, man. Did they, but, did they want yeah. to be united? Wasn't like, didn't the schism happen because of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, yeah. Yeah, because he he was made a saint, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so. yeah. Uniting is a very well, loaded term. I mean, didn't Hitler unite a lot of countries? My God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to to add Hitler. So we are going to end up at Christopher Lee, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> it's the only it, way to get there. Unfortunately, uh, but I actually have. Thankfully, we have not repeated the same links. Um, because oh, roads lead back. Maybe at Christopher Lee should be the next. Christopher Lee's got multiple links to Charlemagne yeah. that you've not picked up on, which is good. So thank you. It made me feel very lazy, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Pepin the Short to brand new. There exists a semi-famous photo of a brand new T-shirt being worn by Martin Shkreli. Yeah, because he released a T-shirt in response, which was yep. a, a piss take off. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Martin Shkreli uh, was photographed in that T-shirt, it was reduced in price, and proceeds were used <laughs> to fund the Whitman Walker AIDS charity. That's because Martin Shkreli, in case you're, you've forgotten, was uh, the guy that invited controversy after buying the anti-parasitic drug Daraprim and raising the price by almost five and a half thousand percent. That, that, um, the fact that that drug was anti-parasitic is kind of ironic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually later went to jail for almost five years for charges relating to securities fraud uh, and was actually released in May of this year, so he's currently cutting about. Do um, you know that he very briefly started a record label with um, Jeff Rickley from Thursday? Jeff Rickley from Thursday <laughs> uh, had a record label called Collect Records that was ghost-funded, really. He was uh, the silent partner funding that, um, but they severed ties. Anyway. That's twice. <laughs> 
Daraprim is intended to be used to treat toxoplasmosis, the the brain-controlling parasite that uh, makes rats uh, sexually excited by cats and causes them to throw themselves into the cat's gaping mouths. Um, You know, that's basically what toxoplasmosis does to rats. Um, It's estimated that up to 30% of humans carry toxoplasmosis parasites. Wow. Um, Even if the impact on us is imperceptible. That's That's 2 billion people. Jesus. Um, so a 2018 study in the journal uh, Proceedings of the Royal Society 2, I think, uh, explored the link between Toxoplasmosa gondii and entrepreneurship. <laughs> no joke. Two billion humans plus ha- are, are, are thought to have this parasite. And apparently a disproportionate number of business majors or business students carry it. Right, up to one point seven times more wow. than than normal, which is considered to be above the threshold of just a sort of uh, anomalous, you know, mm. numerical glitch. Um, so, as I said, that was in the twenty eighteen study in the proceedings of the Royal Society. Eighties Matchbox Beeland disaster had an album called The Royal Society, mm. taking its name from them. The single Mister Mental from that album features in the soundtrack of Shaun of the Dead. Really good scene as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, behind Simon Pegg's character at one point in Shaun of the Dead, outside the Winchester pub, you can see a shambling zombie played by Coldplay's Chris Martin. Mm-hmm. Coldplay performed a cover in December 2011 of Little Drummer Boy as part of the Under One Roof charity event with vocals provided by Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> That same song was also covered by actor and musician Christopher Lee. Nice. Christopher Lee's family traces back through Italian royalty because his mother, Estelle Marie, was a countess in the Carandini family, which ultimately leads back to the Borgias and thus onwards to the Carolingian dynasty, which is what we call uh, Charlemagne's ample descendants. And Charlemagne was the first Holy Roman Emperor, but also King of the Franks from 768 AD, a title that he inherited from his father Pepin the Short. Et voilà, Charlemagne. Beautiful, beautifully done. We all got there via Chris Furley. Yeah. Maybe that's our new nexus going forward, the Chris Furley nexus. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's dead now, so how much harm can he do? Uh... Marissa, thank you so fucking much thank for doing you. that. That was great. Uh, another academic on the show mm-hmm. and us fumbling our way through our uh, anecdotal bullshit. Yep. Um, okay, folks, next week we're trying to make something happen. It mm. might happen in time for next week. It might not. If it doesn't happen in time for next week, we will return with a regular episode. If it does happen, then we'll return with a special episode. Either way, we're going to do a nexus. Mm-hmm. And that nexus is going to be... I think I've got toxoplasmosis. <laughs> One of us probably does. Yeah. I do have a business background. Um, there we go. Um, Henry Charrier? By Greg Love? Henri Charrier. There we go. Uh-huh. By Greg Love. Smashing. Uh, again, no idea who it is. Seems like a low-key flex by the love man. Yeah. Uh, the love meister. Love meister. Dr. Love. Dr. Love. Um, We'll, we'll find out who that is and I'm sure it'll be wonderful trying to nexus in to one of the options that's going to manifest next week. Yep. Hope you're all very excited. Thanks again, Marissa. Hope you'll come back and join us. Absolute pleasure. Next time we decide to shit on your childhood. Thank um, you. Yeah. Always keen. Right. <laughs> See you later. See you soon. Bye. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.